Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We worship the one who's in control of time and he calls his lordship over time, history. From him, it's a done deal. The book of Revelation was written to an audience who would have understood it. Perhaps we can understand it by taking a look over their shoulder and attempting to see what they would have seen. We begin by looking at what has been popularly called the Four Horsemen. By understanding some of the historical context of the book of Revelation, we can better understand the book itself and how it applies to us today. Tonight, Dr. Corbett is in part four of his series, Understanding Revelation. We are continuing our Revelation series. And to do that, I just need to let you know that you're in, if you don't like history, you're not going to enjoy this very much. Um, but I hope to persuade you to maybe like history a bit more than maybe you do. Because we're going to be dealing with the, four, the identity of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Revelation chapter 6. And this is our fourth instalment in the book of Revelation. Understanding the book of Revelation. Just a little recap. I've said to you that there are some people that believe the book of Revelation cannot be understood. And my rejoinder to that is, well then, in what way is it a revelation? In other words, what does it reveal if it doesn't reveal anything? And I don't think that there's any part of God's word that he does not make it possible for us to understand, even if only in broad terms. And I hope to give you some broad brush pictures. The book of Revelation is the most speculated book in the Bible. People have come up with more wild and wacky, crazy ideas about what this means than, than any other book of the Bible. And what we're about to look at in this particular section is almost the most speculated part of the book of Revelation as well. This is about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You even hear uh, the modern media referring to this, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Let's pick it up in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to, as I mentioned, give you a bit of a notice that if, if you have no appreciation for history, this hopefully will be an eye-opener for you. And perhaps you have no appreciation for, for history because maybe you had a really bad experience at school where history was taught really poorly and by someone who had no passion or enthusiasm for it. And I'm hoping that perhaps some of my passion and enthusiasm for it will rub off on you today and you can, you can begin to grasp this. So I'm not approaching this with any attitude that this has been easy for people. But as we look at Revelation chapter 6, I hope that by the end of it you'll go, well, that, this is my hope. That makes sense. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word now, we ask that you would indeed speak to us and reveal things to us. Not that we're putting into your word, not that we're twisting your word to mean, but that your word from the outset has already declared. Help us to see what's there. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. So you remember in chapters 4 and 5, the Lamb of God, that is Christ, has come on to center stage and the Father held a, a, a scroll with seven seals and the Lamb has taken it and now we pick up the story. So the Lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures. You remember these guys were the four-faced creatures. They are called cherubs and in English cherubs, in, in uh, Hebrew cherubim, bim, im means 
plural, whenever you read that. And despite what Hallmark greeting cards would have us believe that the cherubim, little bare-faced, bare-bottomed little things with bow and arrows, that is not a cherub. That is not what... Th these guys are huge, four, five metres tall, four-faced creatures. They are the secret service of heaven. They are huge. And they, when they speak, notice how it describes their voice, being like thunder. And they say... Erku, which is Greek for come. In other words, come and we will reveal something to you. So here's, as we open this verse and we begin to look at what happens now when we are introduced to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I want to pursue this mission. And this mission is to, to, to do the best we can to look over the shoulder of the very first readers. This book, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, last book for a good reason, because so much of the rest of the Bible is invested into this book. And if, you didn't, if we didn't have the rest of the Bible, the book of Revelation would not be understandable. The book of Revelation would have been written around about 65 AD. And by the end of this morning, I hope that that becomes really clear as to why. It's not a guess. It's not a, I reckon, there's pretty good reasons for it. So this is our goal, to try and look over the shoulder of the first readers, the original readers in 65 AD. And I looked and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. Now that is a clue right there. A crown was given to him. Who receives crowns? Don't, it's a rhetorical question. I'm the only one preaching this morning. You don't have to preach with me, but think about that. Who is given a crown? Just ponder that thought. This, because this is a clue to the identity of these four horsemen. And it says, and he came out conquering and to conquer. So I want you to put yourself in 65 AD. You're on the Isle of Patmos. You're riding to the seven churches in, in Asia. There is, a, there is a world empire at the time. Who can tell me that? Now, now you can preach with me. Who, who was the world empire at the time? The Roman Empire. Now, I, I, I don't suspect that anyone has memorized the first 10 or 11 names of the first uh, of the original 11 emperors of Rome. Has anyone done that? How about the 11, first 11 kings? Anyone done that? You see, this only validates my children's assessment of their father that he is boring because I have. And you're going to go, why? Well, you'll see. You'll see. So when we, when we read a verse like that, he was given a crown. He went out conquering and to conquer. What would the original audience in 65 AD, not the audience of 2017 or 18 or 19 or 20 or whatever date you want to put on it, not what do we think when we read that, what did they think when they read that? I'm going to suggest to you that if you're talking about someone receiving a crown, going out conquering and to conquer, that you would, you would think that's the emperor of Rome. You would think, because he was the king of the empire at the time. In fact, here's a little bit of Roman history for you. The first king of Rome, this is not a hard question. I don't think it's a hard question. But who was the first king of Rome? Someone? Julius Caesar. Did someone say Julius Caesar? One person. Was someone going to say Julius Caesar now that I've said Julius Caesar? Quite a few more hands go up. Julius Caesar was the first king of Rome. Now, what, makes, what is the difference between a king and an emperor? Thank you for asking. I'm glad you asked. The difference is this. A king is the king over a nation. An emperor is the king 
over kings. So when we read in the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings, you, we, we read that and go, oh, that's lovely. That would make a nice Christmas card. But that's not how the first century readers were reading it. This was, this was insurrection stuff. This was, this was amazing that, that the New Testament would declare that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. But an emperor is, is a king over kings. Julius Caesar was King of Rome. He was about to be crowned emperor, appointed emperor by the Senate. But if you recall the story, on the floor of the Senate, before he was uh, made emperor, Brutus gave him a love tap about 67 times with a dagger, leaving Julius in a pool of blood on the floor of the Senate. So he was never crowned emperor, but he was the first king. And that's an important point. His nephew, his nephew's name was Octavian. And some of you going, yeah, I knew that. I knew that. His nephew's name was Octavian, and he was brilliant. He was one of the, the most brilliant military political leaders that, that has ever walked the planet. He was an amazing man, brilliant mind, uh, trained in, in warfare and military art, and as a, as a relatively young man whom Julius had adopted as his son, prior to him being butchered by Brutus, which is where we get the expression, that was brutal, he became the heir to the Roman Empire. And he was crowned emperor. He was, look at that in verse 1, given a crown as emperor. He did become emperor. And coincidentally, this guy, Octavian, changed his name to the most awesome one. That's actually what he called himself. In, it, it sounds like this, Augustus. It means the one to be most revered, or the Augustus one. Now, of course, Julius Caesar, we get the month of July. Then his son, Augustus, we get the month, well done. See, history's not that hard, is it? Easy. So we have Caesar Augustus. So he was born 63 BC. He died in 14 AD. He's mentioned in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Coincidentally, here is, there's a statue of him in Rome. Here's another statue. If you ever go to Rome, you'll see this statue right up high on a building of Augustus riding a white horse. In fact, time prevents me from showing you all the historical reenactments and the movies and the teleseries, the TV series that have been done on the lives of the Caesars, where they always depict Augustus riding a white horse. Hmm. Did you see verses 1 and 2? Verse 2, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And it was Augustus who defeated all his known enemies at the time and brought in this thing called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And it was at that time when the whole world was under the, the fist of the Romans, when the whole world spoke one language, Greek, when the whole world was, was at a relative time of peace because Rome ruled that Jesus Christ was born. And Galatians 4.4 4 says, at the perfect time, God brought forth his son. Just by the way. All right. Verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, here's the Greek word, or come. Now, the reason I'm, I'm telling you that the Greek word is is because 
when, when we talk about the Lord is coming, it's a different word. It's the word parousia. That's the only reason. Not trying to impress you with Greek. It's just a different word, and you need to know that because it does not come out in English. All right, so here's verse 4. And out came another horse, bright red. What you're going to see is the St. Kilda football club colours opening. You've got white, red. Guess what the next colour is? Black. See, you don't even know, you don't even need to know history. If you know your football, you'll know that's the order of the, the horses. Out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. So a time uh, of disruption and, and uprising. And that is exactly what happened with the next emperor. So who would the original audience have perceived this to have been? Well, this actually happened under Caesar Tiberius. And he lived from 42 BC to 37 AD. He's mentioned in Luke chapter 3 verse 1. And it says in verse 5 of Revelation chapter 6, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and looked and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And this guy here was one of the weirdest, most, most depraved of the Roman emperors. And that is saying something because some of them were off the charts. But this guy... Um, just to let you know, Augustus actually tightened up the marriage laws of Rome. He made it a criminal offence for a wife to commit adultery. Perfectly fine for a man to commit adultery because they're men. But a wife, it was a capital offence. This guy, he changed marriage to mean you could marry anything you wanted, not just a person. Brother, he would have, he would have thought you guys don't even know how to play the game if he was alive today. He married his horse. He was so depraved. This is Caesar Caligula. He was considered to be, by those who swore on their, their very lives to protect him, the Praetorian Guard, they thought this guy did not deserve to live and they invited him to commit suicide uh, when he was uh, very young, in his 20s. And I'm not sure that he accepted the offer, so they showed him how it was done and um, his life was over. Now, here's the next seal. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and the wine. The, 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 the whole point there is the economics of it is these things have now become incredibly valuable. Why would something like that become incredibly valuable? Because they're really, really scarce. And what do we call it when food is scarce? We call it a famine. And that's the language that's going to be used to describe this fourth horse rider. And he opened the fourth seal, and I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, verse 8, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And why was there death, and why, were there, why was this happening? And they were given uh, authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine. Keyword, and with famine. So people are dying because of the famine. And with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So people are famished and they're weak and this is happening. And who would the original audience have thought this was? Well, 
This guy here, is, this is a statue of Caesar Claudius, who lived from 10 BC to 54 AD. He's mentioned, he's mentioned twice in the New Testament, both times in the book of Acts. Here's the first one. So remember, the fourth seal is broken, and it says, and there was famine across a, across a quarter of the earth. Famine. Look at this, Acts 11.28. Agabus the prophet stands up prior to this event, and he says this, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great, what? Famine. Hmm, I wonder when that happened. Over all the world. This took place during the days of Claudius. And one of the principles that we want to use when we look at any scripture is scripture interprets scripture. So when we're looking at the book of Revelation, it particularly applies. So it tells us that during the reign of Claudius, there was famine. Now notice this, there is no fifth horseman, but there is a fifth seal. Each of these four horsemen were military emperors. They were military leaders. The fifth seal, there's no horse. There's no, it's not a military leader. And it says in verse 9, And he opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Huh. Martyrs. When did martyrs begin? And it says they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Coincidentally, the next Roman emperor. Now, remember, we're looking over the shoulders of these people. And John has already told them in chapter one, you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll be blessed by reading this. This will give you insight. You'll get a greater revelation of who Jesus Christ is. You can figure this out. So with that in mind, we're looking over their shoulders. Who would they have thought was the fifth seal? Well, I think they would have had good reason to identify the first four as the first four emperors of Rome. And there would be no good reason that I can think of why they wouldn't think the fifth seal wouldn't be the fifth emperor of Rome. And it was this guy here. This is a statue of Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero lived a relatively short life because as much as Caligula was depraved, uh, Nero took it to new heights or depths, if you want to go that way. He was the most despotic of the Roman emperors. Died at the age of 31. And again, we'll, we'll briefly talk about that. But in his brief life, the damage that he wrought was immense. In 64 AD, Caesar Nero declared war on the church. And I've, I've given you a little bit of the background of this. He wanted a particular area in Rome to set up a, an entire temple to the worship of himself. The problem was there was already a temple there dedicated to some Roman god. Well, that wasn't good enough. So he orchestrated for it to be burnt down, and then he needed someone to blame, and he blamed the Christians. And the result was that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Christians were martyred, opening with the apostle Peter being executed by Roman crucifixion, upside down, because he considered... He was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. And then followed some months later 
by the execution of the Apostle Paul, this time by beheading. And by the way, I think you're going to read in Revelation chapter 20 a fleeting reference to the Apostle Paul. And that was to kick off. And then in 65 AD, he, or late 64, early 65, he tried to execute the writer of the book of Revelation, John. He tried, he attempted it. And Romans being the very superstitious lot that they were when they realized as they put him in a boiling vat of oil for his public execution. I mean, when, when asked, how would you like to die? I don't know anyone who, I, I'm going to go old age, but I, I don't know how many would pick a boiling vat of oil. And John didn't die. And they thought, well, if we can't kill him, we'll exile him. So that's why he was on Patmos. So now we read this and go, oh, this is interesting. I wonder if this is a computer in Brussels, Belgium, or wonder if this is a silicon chip implanted in your forehand or your forehead or whatever. Meanwhile, you don't appreciate that the people who are reading this have had their aunts killed, their uncles killed, their cousins killed, their friends killed, their churches, not that they had church buildings, but the homes where they were meeting burnt down, publicly speared. Nero was taking Christians and he was impaling them on pine posts, covering them in pitch, lighting them at night to mark his way to the games at night. This was a nutter. But I'm not trying to be flippant about this. I'm trying, to, I'm trying for you to realise that, that the tone that we're, we're reading is one where Christians did not know if there would be a church. They didn't know if they would be the last Christians. There was so many people, the stench of death in the air. Can you imagine how it would have felt? Will we be next? John, you're writing to us. You're telling us, cheer up. You'll be blessed. You're telling us everything's going to be okay. You've got to be kidding. I've just seen my mum and dad dragged out of, their, out of our home and they've been publicly speared, some of them crucified. And you're telling me it's going to be okay? And then we read this. Those who had been faithful to Christ during this horrific period of great tribulation were being reassured by the Lamb. And this is what it says in verse 11. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. White robe, speaking of the righteousness of Christ. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Oh, wonderful. But it is wonderful because it puts a completely different perspective on death. It puts the perspective that we, that it challenges the perspective that we have because we think this life is all there is. And the Bible says this life is like the waiting room for what there really is. This is not the end deal. And some of us think, well, I was, I was asked where I went to on the weekend. I said church and they sniggered and I just felt the persecution. <laughs> oh, give me a break. Can you see how pathetic that sounds? Sorry, maybe my mic wasn't working. Pathetic that sounds? <laughs> Honestly. And I've heard people say on the, under the current climate, oh, we're really being persecuted. What, what? Get a grip. History tells us some of the horrific endurance that people went through in their faithfulness to Christ. And this is the audience that were the first recipients of this. 
And this is what we're reading. Now you might think, well, hang on. What, I thought if we die now in Christ, we go straight to be the Lord in heaven. And I absolutely believe that. Well, how come these people died in the Lord and they didn't go straight to be with Christ? Why do they have to rest a little longer? Ah, well, thank you. I'm glad you asked. And that's because this, and this is going to be perhaps one of those moments that Craig and Louise will have today where they'll go home and go, oh, well, there you go. And here it is. See, under the old covenant, people went to a place of the dead to await either the ultimate fate of being in heaven or the ultimate fate of eternal condemnation. And when the old covenant ended, the righteous from that point went to be with the Lord. And you might think, well, Jesus has already died. You said, Andrew, this was written in 65 AD. Jesus died in 30 AD. Why aren't they in heaven? It's because the old covenant hadn't ended yet. And you might think, oh, now, oh, this is, this is too much. This is, you've got... Well, just bear with me for a moment. You see, Christ, when he died on the cross, he made the old covenant obsolete. And he established, he instituted the new covenant. Now, I don't know how many realize I'm actually quoting Hebrews 8.13 when I say that. And here it is. In fact, if that's not the case, the entire epistle to the Hebrews makes no sense to me at all. Here's why. You see, Hebrews was written around 63 AD, one, about one year before the persecution broke out against Christians. And there were Jews who were saying to Jews who had become Christians, see, your Jesus hasn't finished the covenant of Moses. We still have the temple. We still have the priesthood. We still have the sacrifices. Come on back into Judaism, the true religion approved by God, not this Jesus Christ of Nazareth stuff. So what does the writer to the Hebrews do? Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus is greater than angels. Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus is greater than Moses. Hebrews chapter 3, Jesus is greater than the temple. Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. Hebrews chapter 5, Jesus is greater than the law. Hebrews chapter 6, Jesus is greater than the ceremonies. Hebrews chapter 7, Jesus is greater than the rituals. Hebrews chapter 8, Jesus is greater than the old covenant of which he's now made obsolete. And that's the last verse in Hebrews chapter 8. Don't give up. And then it says this in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Continue to meet together. Don't neglect to do it. All the more as you see that day approaching. What day? The day all hell was about to break loose against Christians. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them were about to be butchered. All the more. Hang in there. We're nearly there. And months after the epistle to the Hebrews was received, all hell broke loose. Hang in there. And so now this passage here, in Revelation chapter 6 makes all the more sense. And see, the, the other thing, you're still going to go, but are they, are they still waiting? Are they not in heaven? Well, hang on. Don't rush ahead yet. Just track with me. So now we come to the opening of the sixth seal. And it marks, it says in the, these verses that we're going to read, a darkening or the darkening of the sun, the moon and the stars. Let me show you what I, why I think I have good reason to believe that it's not astronomical 
It's actually about something. But let's have a look at the text. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12, it says this, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. Now, if, if we had some astronomers here, it would be an ideal opportunity for me to get you up on the stage and go, okay, just uh, Dr. Huros, explain to us why it's not possible for our sun to become black like shade cloth. And he would say, well, Andrew, if the sun stopped forth giving its light, for even a hundredth of a second, life on earth would cease to exist as we know it. I go, thank you, Dr. Ross. I appreciate your input. So what on earth is this talking about? It goes on and says, the full moon became like blood. Hmm. We have sun, moon and stars was a word picture describing the nation of Israel and how the nation of Israel was to shine its light to the world, shine the light of the knowledge of God to the world. When the prophets throughout the Old Testament wanted to declare that Israel, who was meant to be like a reflector, they're looking at God, reflecting that light to the world, reflecting the love and knowledge of God, the beauty of God to the world. And when Israel did this, here, this side's the reflector, this side's not. When Israel did this to God, the prophets would say, the sun no longer gives forth its light. The moon has been darkened. And the stars have now fallen from the sky. It's poetic language to describe Israel going into apostasy. As we've heard tonight, the book of Revelation is better understood when we understand some of the historical context of the time it was written. Although written to a particular group of Christians in the first century, its message is just as relevant for us today. That's all we have time for tonight, but you can order the full-length version of this presentation on CD audio or premium download by going to findingtruthmatters.org and selecting Understanding Revelation Part 4 from our online store. More Finding Truth Matters next week. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you tune in again next week for another Finding Truth Matters.